2: California, and Texas, and New York, and we're going to South Dakota, and Oregon, and Washington, and Michigan, and then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! From the second floor of the A.C. building here at Bethel University for one of the last
0: times, we're the last of the Starks. It's Election Shock Therapy. We're back. Woo, we're here. <laughs> and to be clear, it's not one of the last times you'll hear Election Shock Therapy, we hope. Just one of the last Wait, times. We might get barbecued by dragons. You don't so, know. That is true. That is true. <laughs> You
2: guys watching Game of Thrones? I, I am, am not yes. at all.
1: I am not Sam, not do
2: you want to give us our... No, tw- let's,
1: let's no. Really? <laughs> skip it. <laughs> I hear there's coffee in it, though, which helps. There is Starbucks, <laughs> apparently, in Westeros. Yeah. <laughs> coffee now, okay, sir, can I ask a... For Please
2: the, do. Just one question. What is the percentage chance that, that, that Starbucks paid for that? There's no way. No. There's you no sure? Way. Yeah. yeah.
3: Positive. Yep. Yeah.
2: Is there any way that Amelia Clark doesn't get free Starbucks for the rest of her life?
3: Oh, they might have paid for it after the fact, but they didn't pay to make it happen.
2: Okay, yeah, because that's fantastic it free is advertising. Yeah. Oh yes. Okay. Uh, we're not here to talk about Game of Thrones. We're here to talk about politics in the United States and politics in um, our, uh, our part of the world, uh, not yep. Middle Earth. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, and I want to start today, gentlemen. I'm gonna, we have, I have a, a menu of four items for you, but we might not get to dessert. But let's start with our uh, soup and salad course, and that is the, um, uh, the reporting of one um, – do you guys ever have students – that, uh, I have students. Yep. Yeah, you do have students that take a text, they read a text, and then they just really read the text what they want it to say. Yep. Yes. This is sort of a willful misreading of, yep. how would you guys grade William Barr on his reading of the <laughs> Mueller report? Yes. yes. Wow. Okay. So, William Barr is the attorney general. Uh, at replace <laughs> for now. For now. For now. Replaced Jeff <laughs> Sessions. And, um, oh, man. He received the fully completed Mueller report, and then he issued his own summary of said Mueller report, which he said uh, basically um, didn't quite exonerate the president but certainly did not implicate the president in any obstruction of justice, to which at a certain point uh, Bob Mueller himself wrote a (laughs) – Quote snitty letter <laughs> to uh, William Barr, but by the way, is his friend? Uh, their yeah, wives yeah. go to Bible study together. Right. Uh, wow. To say yeah. uh, you have grossly mischaracterized the report that we submitted, and now William Barr, the Attorney General, uh, has been asked to testify before Congress. Yep. He has Donald Trump has, Donald Trump has instructed him to refuse to attend that that uh, question, and now Congress is drawing up charges of uh, contempt of Congress. Yep. Wow, I have nice so summary. many questions here. If you are if you tune into right-wing uh news, you'll hear that William Barr is staying tough against a vicious hoax perpetrated by the Democrats and mm-hmm. Democrats within the Mueller investigation. If you turn into left-wing news media, you'll find that William Barr is a scoundrel and a ne'er-do-well who is affronting the American people by not appearing before Congress. As political scientists, we know that there's a different way of thinking about this. So mm-hmm. Talk to me about the role of congressional oversight, what the Democrats in, in the House are trying to do, and what how William Barr and the Trump administration are pushing back against that kind of oversight
1: right so what we have is essentially just a classic this is this 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 is a classic separation of powers yep. uh, issue so if you look at the constitution it essentially gives uh, you know that you learn this in schoolhouse rock you know with this three ring political circus <laughs> and all that you know we have the we have the three ring play poli- yes we'll refrain from singing it I was think just You're about, just about saw to, it, I I saw it. Nip it. so <laughs> <laughs> so you know we have the three ring political circus and the idea is essentially that each branch is able to hold the other accountable right. through some means right uh, and so part of part of of why uh and so so essentially we have we have two different sets of powers here so let me just kind of say something about each of them and Mm -hmm. we can go into more (laughs) details if we want but uh but basically the executive uh, branch has various powers to administer the government Mm -hmm. so that's their core function and when you look at the secretaries or in this case the attorney general who are the main heads of those major major federal uh, agencies they're the ones who are supposed to actually put in place the laws that congress passes so they're the ones who are supposed to actually take actions that that uh that actually carry out the laws and, and processes. Um, so part of that though, is they're also supposed to be there to advise the president. Mm-hmm. So they're not just there to be administrators. They're also there to be advisors. And so part of their function is essentially to, to basically be able to say things to the president. And what that leads to then, and what the courts uh, have long acknowledged is that some of the things, some of these conversations and communications within the executive branch need to be secret. Right. In other words, the idea is if everything that happens in the executive branch is made public, then you might not be able to privately say to the president, you know, you're being an idiot. This is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. And so and, – and the president isn't going to feel free to fully voice right. what they're thinking to their advisors. They're not going to be able to say, hey, I've had this thought. Let me right. float it by you and see what you think right. if they think everything is going to be made public eventually. And so there is some realm of executive privilege whereby the executive essentially can assert and say we need to keep certain things secret and even Congress doesn't get to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the executive side. And that's essentially what Donald Trump, in fact, I just saw before I came in here, Donald Trump has just explicitly um, said that he wants to exercise executive privilege over the redacted elements of the Mueller report and prevent further testimony. Right. So that's essentially what's going on uh, at the executive branch level. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, at the Congress level, um, what the Constitution assumes is that Congress is the dominant branch. Right. The mm-hmm. Co- Constitution assumes that Congress is essentially in charge of the government mm-hmm. and the president is sort of there <coughs> following the bidding in some sense of congress they're basically following along whatever congress says and so the way for congress to make sure that the president is doing their bidding is to essentially be able to monitor Mm -hmm. what the president and the officials that the president has put in place are doing so it's that the, it's that essentially Congress is there to make sure that we said XY and Z was the law are you doing X Y and Z mm-hmm.
0: in some yep. form mm-hmm. even
1: if there had to be little adjustments or whatever in terms of right. the actual administration are you essentially doing what we told you to do and so that's basically what Congress uh, is now doing Congress is mm-hmm. basically there saying we're here to hold the executive branch accountable they're supposed to be servants of the American people and in fact there's a very direct connection the most direct connection the American people have to the government, uh, to the federal government is through Congress. That's where you have the most direct elections um, from the people. And so if you, and so in order for uh, regular American citizens to be able to hold their government accountable. The most obvious way is through Congress and through Congress, congressional monitoring of the exe- actions of the executive branch, and it's that function essentially that, that Congress is is attempting to do. They're basically saying we're wanting to make sure that the special counsel mm-hmm. that was uh, appointed has actually been has actually fully carried out their role and that the conclusions of that investigation are not being mm-hmm. shuffled mm-hmm. Uh, essentially under the rug by the right. executive branch. Right. Um, now, traditionally, I just want to say one of thing about this sure. one other and, and then of course we can say more about uh, but one other thing to note is uh, there's sort of this perception there's, there's sort of a tension mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the secretaries in the cabinet um, and of course in this case in particular the Attorney General Barr mm-hmm. um, and that is a question of who does he serve Who Mm -hmm. is he supposed to be Mm -hmm. there to be reflecting? And on the one hand, of course, they're appointed by the president. So on the one hand, they are supposed to be in some way serving the president. And the president, as the chief executive, uh, is in some sense their boss. I mean, Mm -hmm. the president is supposed to be in charge of the president. Right. They serve at the pleasure of the president. On the other hand, they don't only serve at the pleasure of the president, and they are only subject to the president. In other words, each person at, this, at, the, uh, at that secretary level also has to be approved by the Senate right. and therefore is also accountable to Congress. Mm-hmm. And so there's a tension. They sort of serve two masters, if you will, in yeah. some ways. They're supposed to be both servants of the American people, which is mostly reflected through the oversight of Congress, and also servants of the president, which is reflected by the president appointing them. Sure. And so to the extent that we think of these cabinet secretaries and the attorney general as servants of the American people... Congressional oversight is the essential way by which the American people um, uphold that, or basically maintain that, uh, right. that 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 a check on them.
0: Yeah, and so it's, it's interesting. That is an interesting tension because, of course, you know we had that big debate um, in the 1860s, actually, with you know Andrew Johnson when he was in there. Could he could he fire members of Lincoln's cabinet, which the Radical right. Republicans did not want him to do? Um, they well, that was actually one of their grounds for imp- impeaching Johnson. Um, that law that, that they had passed to kind of prevent him from doing that was ultimately ruled unconstitutional, um, right? So so it is, in one sense, like these cabinet members are primarily serving at the pleasure of the president. On the other hand, right, I mean, they're supposed to be carrying out kind of rightfully the laws that are passed by Congress. And, and you know, and if they're not, if they're obstructing what's being done, right, including, you know, things like the, the Mueller investigation, right, then that raises real questions about, about them and their integrity. And so it is certainly completely legitimate to sort of say, hey, Barry, you have to come in and answer these questions, because it seems like you're kind of deliberately misleading um, the American people. That's problematic. So
2: is, I'm going to put you on a, a normative question here, <laughs> and punt if you want, but who's being unreasonable here? Is our uh, are, are congressional Democrats being unreasonable in using their oversight powers to scrutinize uh, the Trump administration to scrutinize Bill Barr's actions specifically? Or is William Barr being unreasonable in his deferral to testify before them? Or is there is there some blame on both sides?
1: Um, I guess. So there, I think I think I think. On the one hand, I think if, if, we're, if, if this is a normative question, mm-hmm. we're thinking about uh, the most norms. I think if we want to assign blame, the largest share of blame is on is on uh, bar. Yeah. Uh, so he definitely yeah. uh, once again, they are, these are people who are supposed to be accountable to the American mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. This is a central role for Congress. Uh, it is unreasonable for um, for them to think that they are in, in this sense above, um, you know, the American people's primary representatives. Right. Uh, and so in that sense, it's it's very unreasonable for for uh, what, what is supposed to be a servant of the people. um, refusing to essentially be held accountable by the people.
0: Maybe one thing if he was showing up and saying there's certain questions I can't answer, Uh, but refusing to show up at all, that's not, I mean, that's not a reasonable position, right? Right. And and the Democrats are right, in fact, to be drafting sort of uh, statements like holding in contempt, right? Because I mean, that is is in contempt. Now, the one thing I will say in Barr's defense, and it's not exactly Mm -hmm. a defense of Barr as much as a, Barr is finding himself between a rock and a hard place, Mm -hmm. as you inevitably do if you work in this administration. The way to keep Donald Trump's support, the way to keep influence with Donald Trump, the way to have him be happy with you, is to defend him and to kind of follow his every whim. And Trump is saying, "Don't go." Right? right. So he's finding himself in this kind of like to keep the the ear of the president and the support of the president. That's what he has to do. The problem is that is also in tension with kind of his role as a, a constitutional officer. You know, as somebody who's you know f- filling this really important role in the administration of justice in this country. So. I am sympathetic to where he's at, but I think yeah. it, the responsibility is mostly on him.
3: What is the significance or meaning uh, behind being held in contempt of Congress? Like what is the ramifications of that? What is the history of that? Is that a common, uncommon no, that's thing? That's
2: a really good question. Uh, it's not a um, legal proceeding not in the much. sense that you can't be arrested and they're in jail for being in contempt of Congress. In theory, because Congress cuts the paychecks, Congress could garnish your wages. They could, (laughs) they could, they really could. They could fail to, they could, they could not pay the attorney general. I'm not sure how much Bill Barr needs the money. I was going to say. Um, I don't know. Is there, are there other things they could do? I, I mean,
1: the biggest thing they could do ultimately would be to uh, try to draft articles to remove him from office. <laughs> they could yeah. impeach him. essentially impeach him. So is, you, is, you that, is
3: that a is that, is that that is that step on impeachment to say, well, you're in contempt yeah. of Congress, so right. therefore we're going to? Yes. Yes, yeah. that would be okay. a precursor step.
0: Yeah. Okay. And the problem with that, and then you run into the partisan thing again, which we've talked about a lot. Sure, podcast, sure. Right? I <laughs> just
3: didn't know what that meant. Because I know what contempt of court means, but I don't know if that's – a similar thing, or is yeah. it easier? Is it more acceptable to, h- to be in contempt of Congress, which it seems like it maybe is?
2: I think, it's, I think it's a little bit harder to be in contempt of Congress than contempt of court. <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: And yes, probably like it doesn't matter as much because your partisan loyalists are still going to be like, wow, that just shows like he's a, sure. he's fighting the good right. fight, right? Mm-hmm. Like right. against those bad people, right? So, so, so I you, say who's
3: the, was th- the last I, person who's in, in a similar situation who's been in, held in contempt of Congress? Good question.
1: I don't know. Oh, that is a good question. Um, I, And I don't know the answer either. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. One of the things I was going to say though is actually, interestingly, a number of Republicans actually are um, on board with drafting articles of uh, mm-hmm. contempt. Oh, uh, really? Okay. So yeah. So this this is this uh, even though it's not a ton of Republicans, but there are some who are on board because they feel. I don't know
2: if this is the last person, but I'm pretty sure Scooter Libby was held in contempt of Congress.
1: Oh yes. Yeah. That
3: makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. so does yeah. that need to does does article or not articles, but um. A charge of contempt of Congress does that come from the House or the Senate or how does or does it have to clear both or how does that work?
1: Uh, I think it can be held in contempt for either chamber. Okay. So yeah. in this case, I think it's the because it's not like a law. House, right, so right. It's the House will hold him in contempt yeah. because the, okay. House the, House the Senate could the do the same him. thing. Separately. Okay. Right. So the the, the Senate hasn't the,
0: summoned the, him th- to th- testify. Th- right? No, they so haven't, well. and probably won't. No, probably won't. And he, <laughs> and he, might, he might accept that because, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the chair sure. of the committee is going to be different. Right? Can I
2: throw one other just angle well, he also Well, he oh, also testified before the Senate, too. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's true. So.
0: so it's already happened.
2: So really quickly, I, I do think, though, that it's worth keeping in mind that Donald Trump has sort of painted himself into a corner with his attorney general here. Yep. Uh, when you replaced Jeff Sessions and brought in William Barr, William Barr was sort of seen as this old hand, highly respected, kind of like. Bob Mueller mm-hmm. um, and yeah. sort of unimpeachable, like, you know, very conservative, but sort of unimpeachable um, yeah. and maybe in a literal sense. And if he's and if he leaves office, either because he's tired of this, this uh, whole show or because he's removed from office. Yeah, it's hard to imagine Trump getting anybody uh, appointed to be attorney general. I think that'd be really problematic with Rod Rosenstein now resigning. Um, mm-hmm. I it leaves the justice department it would leave the justice department quite weak Um mm-hmm. if uh yeah. if what what
3: left. I forget and I remember I forget what what this was but wh- what is the um the time frame on the um interim like interim ag uh, or, there's the, you, or, I don't know if right. interim is the right term, but there's because right, right, uh, yeah. that's what Whitaker was, right?
1: Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in principle, I mean, this this is actually an open, to some degree, open constitutional question. Okay. How long can someone be a quote unquote acting,
0: acting secretary, right. Um, right. and how
1: and when do they need approval? I mean, there's certain, for example, I mean, certain justices on the Supreme Court, most vocally, actually, Justice Thomas, have said that actually there is no constitutional justification for an acting um, role in a secretary position. So essentially, he has said that essentially that's an unconstitutional thing. It shouldn't happen. Hmm. Um, So it seems like for someone like like Thomas, they would say actually the time frame is zero. (laughs) Basically a president shouldn't be able to just have somebody who is a quote-unquote acting person in those roles. For other folks who want to give the executive a little bit more leeway, the assumption is usually that they can have a few months. Now, there are also... uh, uh, recess appointments. Mm-hmm. So, recess appointments right. essentially happen when Congress is not in session. Um, those uh, are in, those basically have usually been seen as valid for about six months, mm-hmm. um, and, and basically, <clears throat> that's that's usually the time frame that's seen for them. But again, there's a real question, and there's it's still to some degree an open question how. Valid constitutionally, even a even mm-hmm. a recess appointment is. And didn't John Bolton serve so,
0: longer than six months as he UN did? And the
1: Bush administration was, kept pushing him forward, so this was so. a big question as like to whether he got he over is, a year, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that. And th- again, this was sort of raised those same questions. Yeah. To at what point yeah. does he no longer legitimately hold the office of UN ambassador right. because he hasn't right. been approved?
0: It does seem like so. that that zero allowance is kind of a meaningless argument in one way because. Even if you said, well, nobody can be acting attorney general, then it's just like, well, then the department's running itself and somebody is still right. Acting it, as right? it, yeah. I mean, so so yeah. They, they, the yeah. non-acting acting attorney general, I mean, like, because, right. they, it, you know, you can't magically fill the office the moment somebody's gone, right? I mean, so, yeah. I find that argument a little <laughs> problematic.
2: <laughs> well, I think this just underscores the fact it's very likely that, that Barr stays in place. Yeah. Right. Unless something yeah. else breaks. Unless he good. wants to leave. Unless, right? Or he wants to leave. Right. Or he takes yeah. off right. Right. Trump. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our our salad and soup course. Let's turn (laughs) to our fish course. Um, (laughs) And with our fish course. uh, since we last podcasted, one uh, Joseph Biden has <laughs> announced that he's running for president. And Michael, won, Bennett. Michael Bennett. Also one Michael Bennett. One of these <laughs> names matters a lot more than the other. And I'm sure that Michael, when President Michael Bennett is inaugurated, yeah. you'll play this back to me to remind me <laughs> but, how
0: much I dismissed Michael Bennett's right.
2: presidency. Right. Michael Bennett will not be president.
0: So 538 um, is this great um, series like how so-and-so, every time somebody gets in, how so-and-so can win the right. presidency. For a lot of them, I just want them to, like, I want to just click on the document, open it, and, like, they can't. Yeah. <laughs> they, like, in I'm good like, faith, go through and, like, try to analyze How Michael like. Benico
1: in the presidency, you see there's this meteor. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And there's and – there, and basically, it would, it would be a meteor, and you see there's the stage of the major candidates. Yeah. Right. It strikes that stage. Right. Yes, right. exactly. Right. 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 Well, I guess right. it's me. Um,
2: <laughs> have you seen King Ralph?
1: All right. Um,
2: so Joe Biden, uh, not only has declared, but he has jumped to the front of the polls. Yes.
0: He was already at the front, but he's jumped further in front. Yes.
2: Right? yes, he now is, dare we say, the presumptive favorite to win the Democratic yeah. nomination. I think that's right. Uh, he yeah. leads the pack easily, not only in terms of polling numbers but also in terms of endorsements. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does lag behind in fundraising, although we would could imagine that yeah. he could catch up quickly there.
0: But he, he had the best first day of anyone, so he did. so
2: yep. it was good. He's not, but he, he he's he's. He did not kind of roll out a well-developed infrastructure. No. Uh, So he's building his his team now. Um, Is it too early to make any kind of assumptions about... About the nomination process for Joe Biden. How
3: significant is it to be the front runner this far out? If we, if you go back to two thousand eight or two thousand four or two thousand, who was the presumptive favorite at this point it in those races? Hillary
2: Clinton was the front runner in uh, twenty sixteen. At this point, mm-hmm.
0: uh, George W. Bush was front runner pretty much from the get go in two thousand. I know on the a other pretty hand, large field.
2: Uh, Jeb Bush was the front runner at this at this point, but a w- much much
0: weaker front runner, Not, yeah. nowhere near these.
2: Well, guys. and that's the
0: point. Yeah.
2: Joe Biden is not a particularly strong frontrunner at this point.
0: He's what? I would he's say not, compared. But he's much stronger to than Jeb Bush was in 2016. I mean, uh, in terms of the polling numbers. In terms of polling Jeb numbers. Jeb Bush was never. Yes. I mean, he's pushing 40 percent. right? Jeb Bush was kind of like, yeah, we kind of like Jeb, but much weaker. Jeb, Jeb. <laughs> no exclamation. Okay, so you're saying that this is actually. It's not insignificant. I mean, like I think it. Yeah. I think he's a. He's not like like he's not clearing the field. Like no mm-hmm. one's like, oh, Joe Biden's in, I'm out, right? I mean, I mean, maybe but Michael are there Bloomberg. Who
2: this will push out?
0: Yeah, I mean, like so, Michael Bloomberg didn't get in, and um, why am I drawing? like Terry McAuliffe didn't Sherry get Brown. In, in part because of that. Maybe Sherrod Brown, but uh, yeah, I think eventually we'll push some yeah. people. I mean, some, eventually some people are going to have to be pushed out just because this field is way too big. But yeah. Biden is so his numbers are good. I mean, he's actually, you know, in one sense, he's in a fairly strong position. It's not, I wouldn't say like presumptive nominee kind of position, but but certainly more likely than anyone else. On the other hand, I mean he's Joe Biden. He's had two failed presidential campaigns. He's really old. Um, he's gaff prone and you know and he's a blast from the past. And if voters want something new, that's that, that could be problematic. So we'll see how it works. I don't know. He's taking a particular tactic,
2: which no one else has done so far in this race, and I'm curious to see as political scientists what you think about this, but he, no surprise, has aligned himself very closely with Barack Obama, mm-hmm. which was interesting because none yep. of the other candidates really did that, even yep. though some of them campaigned for him, some of them were pretty close to line with Obama. Yep. He, in all of his speeches since declaring, has made pointed references to his closeness with Barack Obama. Yep. Um, it wouldn't shock me if Donald Trump at some point started referring to him as Joe Obama, Um I think that's a great nickname. Are you workshopping that's, that? I'm workshopping that's, it a little bit. That's got, yeah. that's got a good ring
1: to it. You should you should yeah. tweet that at uh, real Donald Trump. I think I will. Yeah. yeah. Are you a lesser known like Trump <coughs> consultant? Yeah. <laughs> Much lesser known. Much lesser known. Because <laughs> if we
0: if we see Joe Obama come out in the next week, that's we'll right. Be yeah. like, oh my word! <laughs> Let's check Chris's <laughs> bank account. <again." laughs> right. It's weird. There's a lot of rubles in yeah. it. I hear but the anyway, AG job
2: um, may be open. <laughs> so okay, so. Does this work? Is this a, is this a, is this a, does this kind of tactic, aligning yourself with Barack Obama, have legs in this Democratic primary?
0: I think it's his option. I think, I mean, I'm not sure, like, is it the right thing for the moment? I think that's an open question. I think, but I think if you're Joe Biden, your case for this is I'm the unifying figure. I'm the one who's been in national office. I have successfully governed. I worked with this, you know, president who's still very popular in the Democratic Party. Um, And I'm the adult in the room. And you think about even his kind of is opening salvo, right? I mean, like, other candidates are coming in, like, talking about, like, hope in America. and and, and <laughs> hope. Yeah, <you> know, like, <laughs> blah, 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 right? And and Biden comes right out firing at Donald Trump and sort of right. acting like I am the nominee. Right. I, it's me and him. And really, which one of us do you want, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you, in some ways, want to go back, and that's always a dangerous kind of way to frame it, but do you want to go back to a time when we had kind of dignity in leadership or do you want to go back, do you, do you want to kind of keep going with this president who is kind of making these really morally troubling arguments, right? And so that was his kind of opening, his opening take. And I think for him, that does seem like if he's going to do this that's probably the way he's going to do this
1: I mean the analogy I think of is is George H.W. Bush with Mm -hmm. Reagan I mean Mm. George H.W. Bush on his own has failed presidential campaigns in his past but the thing that really probably puts him in the White House is because he's basically Reagan 2.0 or offering to continue the legacy of Reagan right exactly and so if you're a Democrat and you look back and you say you know the Obama years maybe weren't perfect but they were good years Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. then that sounds pretty good it certainly sounds Mm -hmm. better than what we've got right now Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so you know if he's somebody who seems like they can right. bring that in, then why not? I mean, that seems why, you know, I think the question for a lot of Democrats is, and this is the way, this is Joe Biden's campaign. I mean, do you want to roll the dice with somebody else? I mean, do you want to say, yep. sure, maybe you like Elizabeth Warren's policies better, but, you know, is that just inviting a longer time of not having, right. you know, Obama 2.0? Right. Sure. So, uh, so yeah, it seems like, I mean, I don't know. It it, it it I think the thing that could really change this, I mean, the real question is how Joe Biden looks on stage yep. um, during the debates. I think that's the one thing that potentially can could fry him. I mean, if he gets up there and, you know, does a series of Joe gaffes and, right. you know, dumb right. things, <laughs> then maybe Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris or somebody else starts to look and they're yeah. like, oh, maybe we do want, you know, the the smart person in the room to, to be the nominee. He's got um, a
2: weird, he's, he's got to have a thread of needle though, right? Because if he's too reticent, if he's too sort of dignified, he'll seem like Sleepy Joe. Right, uh, right. If he comes out too fiery, too angry, yep. he could run the risk of stepping on the toes of someone like Elizabeth Warren Kamala Harris mm. uh, Kristen Gillibrand and then he plays into this idea that he's a boorish white male yep. Yeah. and yep. Yep. he has to avoid both of the yep. uh, I, I always mispronounce these Sam help me out here is it is it Skyland Sicil uh, Kri- yeah. and Kriptus. Um he's got to avoid both of those things yeah. and sail in between them and that's going to be hard for Joe Yeah. It's harder than it would be probably for uh, Buttigieg or, um, or Barack Obama for that matter or Barack right? Obama I mean
0: matter. it's yeah, I think Biden has not shown himself to be great at that. I'm not, and I'm not, like, one of the other things I think that could trip him up, and it's kind of related to what you just said, is the kind of purity testing of kind of the current Democratic Party's identity politics, kind mm-hmm. of, you know, kind of to put it broadly. Um, how does Joe not? cause himself big problems on that topic mm-hmm. right, at some point. Because he he does he is inclined to sort of say things without necessarily thinking them through. So yeah. it, it feels like you're going to have a round or two or more of controversy about something he said. How damaging is it for him when that happens? And I don't know. I think that's so the unknown. unknown. The other obvious unknown that we should throw out there is Joe Biden is 76 years old. I mean, the other pos- yeah. real possibility here is you get a health crisis. With him and Bernie especially, that's just a huge factor. These are really yeah. kind of elderly or men. Or just right? the rigors
2: of the campaign yeah. will wear them absolutely. Down. Yep. Right.
0: I mean, that's, it's a long time to be doing this kind of intensity at that age. And mm-hmm. I mean, they both seem reasonably yep. healthy for their age, but their age is quite advanced. So yep.
2: Well, let's switch over to our meat course. We've got All about right. 10 minutes left here. Um, I, I realize when I say that, this implies that this is the hardiest course, or, but I, I, I'm not sure that we have the most information here. A couple <laughs> things have emerged. Maybe it's
3: like vegan meat, so it's not. Yeah, it's like it's like, just, it's this is a tofu. Welcome yes, to tofu. the
2: impossible burger of our podcast. <laughs> All right. The black bean have burger. you guys heard about these impossible burgers? Yes. As, Chris just distracted himself. Seems like a real, <laughs> this is like a real abomination. I just want to this is for your
3: upcoming food podcast. I have not actually okay. heard about it, Ooh, but we can we talk about that? it off there.
2: All right. A um, couple of things about the Trump campaign. Uh, the uh, Trump campaign is uh, ha- has done something in the last couple of, um, last couple of weeks, which it was – um, completely a 180 from, its, from the 2016 campaign. Mm-hmm. And that is they've begun to reach out to big-name Republican donors. Mm-hmm. The Trump campaign yep. worked on a very unusual strategy in 2016. It basically mm-hmm. didn't take in a lot of money, didn't take in a lot of contributions, but made yep. use of a lot of free advertising on the part of the media, yep. which loved covering Donald Trump and the things he said the things he tweeted. Right. Um, Trump is running what would be considered sort of a much more traditional campaign this time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, big fundraising, mm-hmm. lots of donations, uh, lots of bundling from big yep. uh, potential donors. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, I'm wondering... Does this mean, this means one of two things for me. I'm going to be hyperbolic in two directions. One, Trump is ill-suited to run a traditional kind of campaign, and and this will actually make him less efficient and less nimble. That's one option. I think that's wrong. The other option is uh, Mm -hmm. this, Trump has just created the Death Star, and he's now unbeatable. He's everything he was in 2016, uh, bombastic. He draws the media's attention uh, with 21 different Democrats running. All eyes are on Trump on the other side. And now he has all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know that either one of those things is true but should we expect a different kind of Trump in 2020 based on because he's running a different kind of campaign?
0: Mm, my short answer is no. But <laughs> the longer answer is I think it so I think I guess I'd put it this way. I think there's Trump and there's his campaign, and I mm-hmm. think they're two separate things. So, for okay. example, I'm right. coming back to Joe Biden for just a second here. When Joe Biden announced, um, Trump then fired off all these tweets at him, and you know, was talking about how old he is and you know stuff like that. Which I'm not really sure that's a conversation that's useful for him. But, but it's Donald Trump. This is the kind of stuff he does and says, right? And so, I think I don't think you can stop Donald Trump from from doing and saying. You can the only crazy stuff. hope
2: to contain him. You so can maybe kind been of contain him, and even, the 90s. yeah.
0: And even, <laughs> even that, I'm not even <laughs> containing him is a mixed bag, even like so. So I think he's going to do what he's going to do. What I think you might get more is that kind of um, big money campaign that then runs a lot of negative advertising. And Maybe there's more feature of that this time, Um, because I think their hope of winning realistically is you have to take down the Democratic candidate and make it what you need for Donald Trump to win, I think, is I'm the devil, you know. And do you really mm. want to switch to a devil you don't know, right? right? Because, I mean, given where his approval rating is right now, it, it, especially given how booming our economy is, his approval rating ought to be way higher, right? And mm-hmm. it's not. Right. So, like, that's his that's his chance. He gets 2020 and says, Look, I know, you know, they're, they're, his campaign's in a version of, We know you don't love us, but things are going well. This other person is nuts or terrible or nuts and terrible, right? Or and they'll you destroy tear them the economy. apart. And so you yeah. run, run all that money, and they'll destroy the economy. And um, and you win that kind of slugfest. So, so it's closer to the Death Star if I'm forced to pick between your two. But I, I just think in the end, it, it depends on how much how successful can they be about bringing down that Democrat. Which is why I think who the Democrats nominate matters. I mean, I actually think there are there are people who are much more vulnerable to being brought down. I mean, if you nominate Bernie Sanders, you know my Democratic friends, right? I mean, that's He's super vulnerable to that argument. It's like, he's really old. He's a socialist, right? Um, why would you go with this guy and, and ruin a good thing? That case gets harder to make with somebody like Joe Biden who's saying, hey, I'm basically going to kind of go with the, you know, a much more, more toward the center, at least, Obama kind of approach.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, um, I, I – I, I, want to emphasize the distinction that Andy made just a second ago which sure. a distinction between yeah. Trump and his campaign. I think that yeah. I think we're going to see that a lot more mm-hmm. this time around. <laughs> I mean it, because as you said before, I mean what we saw in 2016 was essentially Trump is the campaign. Yeah. I mean right. much yeah. more than for a lot of other candidates. He was pretty much, you right. know, sort of a one-man Does this band.
2: mean then that there's a potential that Trump
1: fights his own campaign through 2020? I think that's Definitely. possible. I mean, Trump fights with his other organizations, so yeah. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't necessarily fight his own yeah. campaign. Because they
0: did not want that tweet storm in, against right. Biden, and they, he still did it. I mean, right. You know.
1: Yeah, and I think in some sense, I mean, that that's almost where – Um, I mean, if you're waging sort of a traditional campaign, you know, there are certain things you want to do. I mean, one of the things Mm -hmm, you don't mm want to do is advertise in a way that actually brings attention to your opponent. And that's exactly what Trump is doing. So there may be sort of mistakes in terms of like conventional campaigning um, that Trump is going to make. But then the question is, are those actually mistakes or is this actually what gives Trump? Is this a a new paradigm? Right. Is this what gives, you know, is this is this the magic? Um, Yeah. So... um, So, yeah, but I do think there's probably going to be more tension there, Um, you know, especially in – I mean, you know, you can just imagine already – part of what Trump didn't really try to do is like make glossy ads that sort of say Donald Trump here's his family here's his dog <laughs> here's how he's going to you know make the wheat fields better or whatever you know I don't know you here just he is you know, with like, Kanye yeah I, I have some questions about your sense of agribusiness there Dr. Crump <laughs> I mean yeah, well no I mean, it's, not, it's not agribusiness I mean it's just like you know when you see candidates so often they're it's like morning, standing out their, it's more yeah I mean it's like okay look here's, here's the sun rising here's somebody throwing newspapers right mm-hmm. I mean it's like okay so you know it's, I, it's I think Trump just doesn't fit into that it's going to be interesting to see folks like try to fit him in it's sort of what I'm picturing already is sort of like it's going to feel like um, sort of the um, the, the Babylon Bee if you're familiar with it if you yeah. saw like those oh, yes. the, the, the joke pictures that they made of uh, of Jesus basically like behind Donald Trump so like you know Jesus basically there with Trump helping him with his golf swing and stuff like that oh. and so this is kind of what when I'm there was imagining one,
2: one, one set of footprints in the sand it's because Jesus was carrying Donald Trump right, right. yeah so
1: so like so like so like <laughs> I can already see like the campaign kind of feeling that way where you sort of have like these glossy ads of like here's Trump he cares about family and or whatever and it's just like is this like the same Donald Trump that we Know who you know does you know divorced yeah. two women and had mistresses when his wife was recovering from childbirth and you know right, right. I, you know so I think we're going to kind of feel that I think that yeah. that sort of tension is going to just really it's, be in it's going to be hard I mean as
2: speaking so thinking about the psychology of this what got Trump to the White House in 2016 was really a message of of fear and rejectionism yep. like it was yeah. uh, yep. it was a notion yep. of I alone can fix this right. things are bad uh, we're going to make America great again. And now the narrative as the incumbent has to be, I have made America great again. The economy is fantastic. So he needs the economy to continue through 2020 to make that case. And then he has to say, and the fear is looming on the other side of the aisle. If you vote for Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, whoever that is, that's – um, you're, you're just you're, you know everything that I've done these last four years yep. is is, uh, is out the window. Yep, right, right. Um, yep. And, and I think
1: like Andy said too. I mean there are certain candidates that. It's easier to say that than others. Yeah. yeah, It's really hard to say Joe Biden is scary. I mean, he may not be great or right. fun or spunky or whatever, right. but he's not scary. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I think it's hard to see him as, as super scary. And what's
2: interesting yeah. here is the is the pathways this will take depending on who wins the nomination. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Yeah. And I really do think, I mean, coming back to the ad- advertising, I think, you know, just, you know, as you're talking through this, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't think you can win that strategy, right? Like you have to, I think you have to go hard negative for Trump. You take that money yeah. and you absolutely try to use it to define your opponent. It, you start early as soon as it's clear who that person is you start trying to define them in a really negative way mm-hmm. um, because I, I, what I don't think you're going to do is get America to feel like we love Donald Trump but okay. what you could get America to do is say wow do we prefer Donald Trump to this other person yes we do Right. right? and I think that's that's like if you're the Trump Um, Campaign. I think that's what you have to do. So I'm not advising them. That's free for them. um, But you know, (laughs) but uh, that would be what I would say if I was was doing that.
2: I think one thing we can say to this point is that the Democrats, out of the 21 people who've declared, have not found somebody who could really go toe to toe in the bombastity of social media with Donald Trump. No. There might not be a human yeah. being who can do that, but they but they certainly didn't find one uh, willing to run for president. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these are much more traditional politicians up and down yeah. the up and down the list.
0: But that is, I mean, but if you're if you're going to win as Democrats too, you also have to say, A, do we want to go down to that level and play that game? I you think may not want to. Be. No. Right. And B, part of our case for for why you should vote for us is that we're going to elevate the presidency, right? Mm-hmm. And so the right. key is going to be being able to find a strategy where you you take your shots. You have to take your shots, and you play the game a little bit. With him, but but you don't get seen as kind of taking yourself to that level.
2: Andy, I'm just not convinced oh. that American voters or undecided voters um, want a dignified
0: president. I'm well, no, I'm not either. Yeah, no. so no. I'm not sure how important that is. Um, we've got quite a bit of evidence to suggest that. So um, two other quick things, and then we actually
2: need to get out of here. But, uh, so we Sam, don't have
3: time for dessert, but it's like a mint or something at the end. Yeah, <laughs> here, here's, here's your
2: here's your two Andy's mints at the uh, end of the fortune meal. cookie. Uh, Sam, first I want to I need to recognize before we head out. You didn't have a meeting today. You were here for the I whole time. Not. I know. Are you, are you okay? Yeah. Is anything wrong? Can I do no. anything for you? I think I'm gonna make it. <laughs> <laughs> all the students are doing so well. They don't need
1: the same that's mints. right. Wow,
2: that's great. Um, <laughs> just real quick, uh, the North Koreans uh, test fired a rocket, Yay. and uh, yeah. that seems like a problem if you're one um, in terms of foreign policy. And then they might do it again. Uh, And the other Mm -hmm. thing is that Iran has signaled that they intend to restart some enrichment activities. Uh, there's a really nice... Uh, Wait,
3: what kind of enrichment? Because I I work in an enrichment center as well, but you're That's not you're talking right. about <laughs> academic enrichment. <laughs> uranium enrichment <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: to uh, yeah. three point seven percent Do you do much of percent? that over at the
3: Ask <laughs> <laughs> We are the <laughs> <laughs> academic enrichment and support center, but we do not enrich uranium.
1: <laughs> you know not few fuselages over there just spinning the <laughs> stuff around. We have a couple, but uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Centrifuges,
2: not fuselages.
1: Oh, okay. Anyway. I guy.
2: Americanists. So there's a... I can't remember who said it. I can put it out there. There's a really interesting tweet thread um, from I think it was Joe Circioni uh, who studies uh, nuclear proliferation. Sure. But ba- who basically argues that there were sort of three pathways that Iran could go down um, as the, um, in a response to the United States as actions against Iran. And this was actually the most Conciliatory. This was the least aggressive set of responses. The most aggressive would simply be to completely withdraw from the yeah. JCPOA yeah. and to you know to to basically restart a, to start a nuclear weapons program. Right. Uh, the secondary round would be not quite that, but restarting some some reactors, restarting yeah. some yeah. Uh, some clear uh, uh, weapons programs, and 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 not allowing inspectors in, or not allowing mm-hmm. the part mm-hmm. the JCPOA to continue. They're allowing the JCPOA to continue, but they're just they're basically exceeding what they're supposed to be doing in terms of enrichment but they're mm-hmm. clearly not enriching yet to the level that would actually create warheads so sure. they're they're testing hmm. and, um, and we'll see what happens next but this is uh, this is clearly sort of Iran safely pushing back in a way that they can push back on the Trump administration
0: okay
3: i'm full i don't know about the rest <laughs> <of laughs> feels <laughs> <That was> delicious <laughs>
2: This nice, nice glow at the That's end. That's right. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> <radioactive glow. laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody, for being here. We didn't have a chance. All the things we could have talked about and didn't. We didn't talk about infrastructure week. We didn't talk about Venezuela. We didn't talk about um, so many things. Yeah, but so we'll many. be back, hopefully, in your feed really soon here. Keep listening to all the other shows on uh, this, this channel. And until then, on behalf of my colleagues, you've been listening to Election Shock Therapy. You can always get a hold of us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. And until you do, I'm Chris Moore saying... Go Royals.